Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A new week upon us, a big one for a number of reasons. I don't know about you guys, but I have mixed up this delightful uh, Tums Pepto Nexium cocktail to get me through the next two days. I'm sure what you guys are doing. Everybody else is like, I'm going to the liquor store. I'm like, oh my God, if I put one drop of liquor into my body, I will have an ulcer. Well, good luck to all of you, whatever you might be doing the next couple of days. We will be talking about fantasy basketball on this podcast because if nothing else, our brains need a break. We need a respite from, I believe the term is doom scrolling. I was reminded of that by a friend earlier today. So try not to doom scroll for a few minutes here. We'll get you through a podcast, and uh, then you can get back to whatever the hell you were doing before that. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vesperus. This is a hoop ball presentation. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday morning or afternoon, I guess, if you're on the eastern seaboard. Or it might even be the afternoon by the time we get this thing posted on Central Time. But I believe, good morning to those of you on Mountain and Pacific and Hawaii Time. Why did I go off on that rant? I don't know. I don't know. I'm a bit delirious. Daylight saving time. Uh, <laughs> here's, your, here's your real rant of the morning. Remember, remember when we were young? Remember when you were like a teenager or college student or even early to mid-20s and daylight saving time was just falling back was the absolute best thing in the world and springing forward was just the absolute worst because it only impacted the sleep you got for that night. It was very much a selfish, immediate, on-demand kind of reaction. Oh, sweet. 4 a.m. suddenly just became 3 a.m. I thought I was only getting six hours of sleep tonight. I'm actually getting seven or, you know, vice versa for the second half of it. What they don't tell you it's one of those things that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. When you have children, daylight saving time is absolutely the worst thing on planet Earth. They don't know. Toddlers and babies. I, at a certain point, they're going to get old enough where they're going to be like, oh, awesome, I just get to sleep a little bit more. Uh, but it ain't yet. And I, fe- and I forget to warn new parents about it also. They're like, oh, what, what should I know? I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't remember anything about that first few, the first year. Uh, well... I'm reminded of this every single time. And it's bad both directions. It Neither one of them is good. This one is particularly horrible because the kids are all up at 5 in the morning for some reason. Uh, and then when you spring forward, they sleep in, but then they're, like, they're not hungry and they don't go to bed on time. It's a disaster. Republicans and Democrats cannot agree on anything except that daylight saving time is stupid and we need to get rid of it, and yet we still have it. 
They shortened it. Like 15 years ago, they shortened it. It used to be... Uh, it used to start in October and end... I think in like the end of March. And they shrunk it. They pulled it back so that it starts at the beginning of November and ends at the beginning of March. So it's much shorter now by like a month and a half. But just be... Get rid of it! We don't need it anymore. Everything operates on its own calendar right now. We don't need the sun to be up at the right hours or whatever weird-ass reason there was to start this thing. We're, we're all told it was farmer-related. I don't know if that's actually true or not. I don't blame them. Uh, maybe it's a heat thing, like have more of your work hours during sunlight, whatever. We don't need this anymore! Anyway, I'm delirious. Perhaps you guys are as well. If you have children, you almost definitely are. Let's talk fantasy sports. This is, of course, Fantasy NBA Today. You can find me, by the way, on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Please, please do give me a follow if you have an opportunity. And we didn't get any news, really, over the weekend on the NBA standpoint. I was watching it like a hawk as much as I could to see if we got any clarity on the start of the season. Um, We know Mike D'Antoni is now an assistant coach with the Nets, which is... You know, interesting, like it's good for them, but I don't think it's going to change things all that much. They have two superstars. It's not like he can go to a Kyrie-centric offense and just let Kevin Durant float around as the side guy. It's a good hire. It's a good hire because offensively, his mind is a level up. Uh, Apparently, Nate McMillan is on the short list for a potential assistant coaching gig in Atlanta with the Hawks. That would be great for them. They need defensive help in a big, big way. And that's pretty much the only thing that happened over the weekend on an NBA standpoint. So while everybody's going to be, th- this is what's going to happen. We're going to be watching this, the, the, the Twitterverse for election news. And we're going to, somewhere in the middle of all of that mayhem, they're going to tell us what day the NBA season's starting. Which day it is, I have no clue. I'm still leaning towards December 22nd, but it does seem like the players are pretty pissed about it. And so that that makes me think maybe they come to some sort of in-between agreement like January 1st. Man, it's tough to give up Christmas, though. Uh, If you recall, early last week, we were operating on the assumption that starting later would be a $500 million hit. The number... And by the way... um, we, I hope we all feel smart because we, we said something smart on this show together last week, which was it seems like there would be uh, the $500 million would be the hit for this year. And then if they still can't pull it back to October fast enough, there would be an additional hit on either one of two choices they make. If they went to the very short season, the hit would be that they only play 50 games, and so there's just less money there on that perspective, which compounds the fact that they're missing out on the higher ratings days in December. Or if they go to the 72-game season starting later, which doesn't sound like that's on the table, but who knows, then they start next season too late, and that also carves money off. So it's a, a rock and a hard place. And then, And then towards the end of the week, the report came out that it might actually be closer to $1 billion in losses because of that secondary effect. You lose the first month, which is a, a juicy advertising time, but then you also lose either games on the back end or start date 
next year. It has a it's a double whammy. There's a trickle down effect where you lose and then you lose some more. And I, I know I said it on Friday's podcast, but I'll say it again today. It's not that big of a deal for guys making thirty million dollars a year. Their contracts are locked in. If their next contract is only twenty million instead of thirty, it ain't going to change their life outlook all that much. If they've got one hundred and fifty million dollars in the bank. Then the you know four years after that, the difference between having two hundred and two hundred and ten million dollars in the bank is nominal. You're at a certain threshold where it just doesn't matter anymore. Like you hit a certain amount of money where you should probably just be giving half of it to charities or, you know, building up foundations the way that a lot of these guys are, by the way, not picking on NBA players. I'm just saying there's a threshold by which we don't, you don't need it as a human being. You don't need more than a certain amount. There are, however, guys on the other end of the spectrum, rookies looking for their first big contract, veterans looking to try to get a few years, uh, chase a championship, that kind of thing. Um... I'm going to say something that's a little bit tone deaf in a pandemic where a lot of people are out of work, but the difference for a lot of these guys between making a million dollars and two million dollars in a year is a really big deal because the other side of this equation is some of those guys might only work for three or four years. They may only have a short NBA career. Uh, they, you know, they might be trying to pile up four or $500,000 veteran minimums contract at the end of a thing. Like these are guys where the difference between one and $2 million makes it a colossal deal. Uh, their career earnings changes by a, a noticeable amount because they're trying to save up. They don't, a $30 million contract. That's not in their future. A uh, difference between two and four. That's a big deal. If they can only make it for a couple of years, they want to be set. They want to be able to invest it. They want to be able to good, be, be good for retirement, move on to whatever they're doing after the NBA. That's not going to pay 2 to $4 million. So there are a lot of players in the NBA that really need the salary cap to stay where it is. There are enough chintzy owners out there that giving them an opportunity to, to underpay I mean, they just don't need it. So we'll see. I, I still think that December 22nd is happening because there's just too much damn money on the line, but we shall see. When we left off on Friday, we were 30 picks into our results from the way too early eight category industry mock draft. We're going to pick right up with that on today's podcast. But before we do, I want to thank you guys for signing up with our buddies over at mybookie.ag. I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, spooky season over at MyBookie. Unfortunately, they had their biggest spooky day was a day we didn't have a podcast. They had, I think, six blackjack tournaments that you could enter for free on Saturday. There was, like, the ghouls, uh, goblins, skeletons, all that. They had a bunch of Halloween themes, uh, you know, funny wordplay and whatnot. There was $1,000 prizes split between you know, the top 20 or 30 people in every single one of those all Saturday long. So they had these, these, these blackjack contests running all day long. They were short ones, so you had a really good opportunity to win. If you just got on one or two heaters, you could win actual cash, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. Right now, they go back to having one blackjack tournament a day. Um, so f even for those of you that don't bet on the NFL, which is or college football, since those are kind of the two big things happening right now, uh, our team does. Devin, Ira, John, Troy, all those guys, they're hammering away over at, at Hoopball Gaming on Twitter. 
those guys are betting on football. If you don't, you can still play these free blackjack tournaments for actual cash prizes all week long, once a day, every day. Go there now, mybookie.ag. Make sure you enter the promo code HOOPBALL when you sign up if you want a 100% deposit match bonus. Uh, throw in deposit credit card deposit minimum is 45 bucks a bitcoin deposit minimum is 25 bucks again promo code is hoopball sign up today and just start playing in these blackjack tournaments you're gonna lose most of them doesn't matter they're free just get on one heater one day and you could find yourself with 40 or 50 bucks just for playing blackjack which is fun it's great man it's absolutely great mybookie.ag promo code again is hoopball Thank you, uh, as always, to everyone who checked out Manscaped.com last week to uh, get us through to our next uh, deal with our buddies over there. So uh, we'll be working that out here shortly. Manscaped.com, again, promo code over there is HoopBall20 if you want to try to sneak something in here before they make it dormant while we negotiate a future deal. Pick 31. So let's just dive on in. You know, I, okay, before we dive in, I guess I should do the Ace Ventura, you know, deep breath name rattle off of the first 30 picks and i'll do this today i don't know if i'm gonna keep doing this going forward but i can get 30 names out pretty fast and um in honor of full commitment to a bit james harden anthony davis steph curry carl anthony towns damian lillard Giannis, out Kawhi leonard trey young nikola Jokic, luka Doncic, kevin durant lebron james jason tatum bradley beal devin booker jimmy butler Kyrie irving joel Embiid, bam Adebayo, john collins chris paul zach levine paul george christoph persingas kyle lowry ben simmons pascal siakam deandre ayton drew holiday and russell westbrook i believe his line uh in the movie is and one hell of a model american He's looking for Ray Finkel and a clean pair of shorts, just in case you guys had forgotten. So that was the top 30 in uh, our 8-cat, and I know I said those names so fast that you're probably not going to be able to make heads or tails of them. If you want to go back and listen to analysis, it was Wednesday's show last week. We broke down the first round. We did the top 12. We did the next 18 names on Friday's show. So that was our one from over the weekend, the most recent episode we put together. So far, one of the things I wanted to make sure you guys were noting as we worked our way through these this analysis is that we were at a point in the draft now where news was just starting to come out that the NBA was trying to get going by December 22nd. So a lot of those guys drafted early. LeBron James, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, who is on my team in this draft. A lot of those guys would be taking a hit as folks now start to reflect upon possible load management. I'd say probable, actually. It's more than possible. It's it's almost guaranteed for those guys, particularly the veterans that played deep into the bubble season. We pick up with pick number 31 on uh, today's show, and that was the my heart, my heart, Robert Covington, who, of course, has a uh, slightly different value standpoint in eight category versus nine. I know that's the first thing everybody's going to say when he gets drafted. Uh, in the mid-30s in an eight-category league is that there are guys that leapfrog him a bit because one of his great attributes is his ability to not turn the ball over. And and it's a big deal. He averaged one and a half turnovers a game in eight-category leagues. He was at number 46 on a per-game basis, played in 62 games last year. He's better than that with Houston than he was early in the year. So uh, you could make the argument that this pick is... Not that far off from where he was with the Rockets in an eight-category format. And, you know, it seemed like he had his health back this most this most recent year. 
And in a nine-category league, getting Covington at 31 would have me just rolling on the floor happy. In eight-category leagues, you know, to me, there's there actually are a few more exciting options left on the board. And, you know, it's a strange because, you know, with Covington being as durable as he was this year, you, you can kind of give him that extra feather in his cap. But he had gone through some knee things that had been plaguing him for a long time. So I don't know that we can necessarily just guarantee he's going to have another year where he plays in most of his team's games. And as much as I love him, this is a tiny bit too early for me in eight category leagues. Going immediately after Rob was Nick Vucevic, who uh, I actually think was a, a pretty good pick at this spot. He was number 35 on a per game basis in eight category leagues. He missed a handful of games this year, but not so many that it would sort of break the bank. He's also a low turnover guy, but he's just an easier guy to ride in uh, in fantasy in general. I mean, I I love Rob Covington, but I think Vooch should be going in front of him because it's he's just a little bit more reliable. So I don't have any real problem with this one. Um, he fell because it's eight category, and we'll see what Orlando does. I mean, as they ramped up their offensive pace he wasn't a guy who had a, a giant bump because of it because he's such a focal point anyway but it's going to help all of them if they keep playing a bit faster this coming year chris middleton was pick number 33 in this format it's just exactly where he finished last year in eight category leagues on averages 21 6 and 4 with a steal and basically a 50 40 90 season i don't frankly see how he gets better season over season so I'm a little bit afraid of Middleton at 33. Uh, last year felt like basically as good as it gets. And there might be some rest days built in. Not that they went ultra deep in the bubble, but they were in it. And you know they're playing for the playoffs. Like, they've they've shown they can handle the regular season. So it's not like his minutes are going to trend up very much. Not if they don't have a coaching change, which it doesn't look like they will. So... Um, you know, we're getting into a spot here, so I don't want to I don't want to really pick on Middleton all that much because we're getting into a spot where there aren't that many guys behind him here that are equally safe and or potentially more interesting. He sort of he sort of fits the mold at 33 of a guy who's safe, not a ton of downside. The risk is relatively low and there's maybe I don't know two, maybe three guys on this list that I would trust more than Middleton. So it's it's not... I, I, I gave him a hard time. I just think he's going to have a, a tiny bit of a regression this coming season. Uh, next person off the board was Brandon Ingram. Not a huge fan of this one. I know he was number 22 in 8-cat last year, but I really didn't like what I saw once that team got fully healthy. Obviously, I loved what he did to his fantasy game overall, but... I am likely not going to end up with Brandon Ingram this coming year. That's funny. I wasn't going to end up with him last year because I thought he's a guy who hasn't shown us the ability to turn the corner in any of his issue categories, and then he turned the corner in all of them. This year, it's because I think folks are expecting something more like what he did before Zion came back, and that's probably just not going to happen. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was the next man off the board. This will surprise some people, by the way. Donovan Mitchell... Uh, only had 2.7 turnovers last year, and it bumped his numbers a little bit, but he was still number 44 on a per-game basis in 8-cat leagues. He is extraordinarily durable. So he gets that kind of DeMar DeRozan bump in totals leagues because 
you know, if you play in almost all of your team's games, he bounces all the way from 44 to 24, much the way DeMar DeRozan bounced from 40-something to 22. Um, and so he falls actually into that same bucket where he's, you know, probably going to put up numbers that are not that far off from Middleton's, maybe a little bit worse, but probably play in more games. So I, I might be filing him as a guy that I would consider equally safe, Final pick of round three, pick number 36, was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, I think, I mean, this is a pick with a, a boatload of upside. He was number 52 uh, on a per-game basis in, in eight category leagues this last year. He played in 63 of their games, so by totals, he was actually better than that. Uh, he ramped up as the season went along, got off to a slow start, and then was extraordinary for about the final two and a half months. Finished with averages of 19, 6, and 3.5. And 1.8 defensive stats, 47% from the field, 80 at the free throw line. If there is continued improvement, I would expect it to be in his shot and maybe free throws. I also would expect turnovers to go up a little bit if the Thunder move Chris Paul, which I do think is likely to happen, or at least maybe likely makes it seem like it's more than 50-50 shot. A 50-50 shot is relatively likely in modern NBA terms when it comes to a potential trade happening. So there is this giant room for him where does the extra responsibility end up hurting him a little bit? Yeah, maybe, but we've talked about this before. Usage is more important at the end of the day. If his usage goes through the roof, you could suffer a you know one or two point field goal percentage hit. If 47.5 drops to 45.5, but suddenly he's scoring three or four points more a game and one and a half assists and an extra half a three-pointer and more free throws on a number that's a, a net positive, that outweighs the, the drop, potentially, in field goal percent. So um, I like this pick. I mean, this is an upside pick. You're, this team is at the turn, so he's definitely not getting back to you 20-some-odd picks later. Um, is he the safest pick on the board at this point? No, not even close. But is he a really interesting upside pick? Yes, he absolutely is. Pick number 37, we start the fourth round, Freddie Van Vliet. I like this one a lot, actually. Van Vliet had a really good season. Um, I would expect, you know, he's a free agent here, so we don't, we don't fully know where he's going to end up. But he was 31 on a per-game basis in eight category leagues. If he stays in Toronto, he's going to get all the minutes he can handle. There's a chance they move a guard. I don't think they do. I think they're going to make one more run at it this coming year. But there's a chance, which gives that little itty-bitty possibility of additional upside. And the only thing I'd want from Van Vliet is better health. If there's anything that should scare you away from him, it's the fact he played only 48 games during the pre-bubble regular season this year. But other than that, you know, this is a... His per-game numbers will probably beat his ADP here. I think he'll have a better marker than 37 on a per game. It, it's going to come down to totals. So I'm okay with him here. Again, another guy that's not going to get back to you. There is the question mark hovering around him. And in a shortened season, if somebody misses time, it'll kill you. But you get to a certain point where you're like, look, there's, this is a value and I got to try it. Pick number 38 was Andre Drummond, which you know, this is one where free agency is is looming over him. If he returns to Cleveland, I think he's going to put up far better numbers than he did towards the end of last year. Uh, Tristan Thompson is off the books, so that takes one of the other big men away. 
If Drummond is back with Kevin Love and Larry Nance Jr., there will be plenty of minutes for all of them. He's going to be the guy that that grabs the rebounds. You know, he's going to be sort of betting on himself, seemingly, since he did uh, decline the option. Um, and then we kind of just have to wait and see what sort of contract he gets. But he could end up in a place like there are other teams that are that are kicking the tires on the sort of old-fashioned big man that Andre Drummond is. He could end up on a team where he doesn't have that same opportunity. It's never going to be as good as it was in Detroit. It's not going to be as bad as it was for these last few weeks in Cleveland. Um, and so the the reality is somewhere in between, which to me means until we know where he's at, you just like this is just a, a big question mark pick. I have no opinion, none. If he does end up back in Cleveland, I think this is a perfectly reasonable spot to get him. He's not going to be, you know, top 100 kind of guy like he was. He just was, he was mailing it in, man, mailing it in on a bad team. Um, a weird decision considering he declined his option. None of this makes any sense to me, but what the hell do I know? Anyway, uh, next player off the board, pick number 39, Jamal Murray. Who... Um, had one of the most impressive bubble performances of anyone out there, but I've got to think that it it comes back to earth a bit during a long regular season. There's just no way he can play that hard at that level all year long, especially if the Nuggets have health. If Will Barton's going to take some shots, and of course the offense is going to run through Jokic a lot of the time. And so, unfortunately, when you look at Jamal Murray, there just isn't that much more of the apple he can bite. He got better, so it's a possibility that you see his field goal percent tick up. Let's say that ticks up, and then, you know, the resultant extra, you know, fraction of a point, fraction of a three-pointer, maybe a little bit more in the assist department. They're just, unfortunately, as that team is currently constructed, and maybe they move some people, I don't know, there's a lot in his way from taking that massive statistical leap. We've seen the actual physical ability leap happen in the bubble. He became an elite-level guard during the Orlando situation. He did things that we didn't know he could do before, but that was more playoff style. The game was more half-courty. When, when things get into a regular season and teams just aren't playing, they're not going to play as hard, he's not going to have to do the things he did during the bubble. They're going to get easy looks from all sorts of different spots, and those guys that got iced out during the bubble are going to be doing more stuff. So as much as I liked what we saw from him, I don't know that he his numbers change much year over year, even if his actual basketball ability is better. It's a strange phenomenon to try to reconcile that in your mind, but I, I think that's the way we're looking at it. Pick number 40 in this draft was Yusuf Nurkic, which I like that one a lot, actually. He, you know, he's, he's not going to be anywhere near as good as he was during the bubble, um, but he, you know, he showed that he's basically back to being the guy he was before the gruesome injury, which was roughly in that 30 to 50 range. So, yeah, I got no problem with this one. Um, barring another freak injury, he should be fine for a regular season, and you get yourself a really nice center. No issues there. Mitchell Robinson at pick number 41. Um, 
In nine-category leagues, this one is a no-brainer. In eight-category leagues, he was number 79 last year. He'd have to do a lot. I mean, he's going to have to be Hassan Whiteside to get up to near this spot in an eight-category league because I don't think his turnovers are ever going to get above one, but we're going to need to see a double-double and three blocks, basically. I know know it's nuts, but... um, you know, from he he is much more he is far more built for nine category because of that insanely low turnover mark. His field goal percent, his blocks are always going to be crazy high. I love the idea of what Tom Thibodeau can potentially do with him. I, I got to think that he's the direction they're going. And his field goal percent is crazy high. In a nine category league, he's a guy I'm targeting, hard targeting. We talked about that on the show before. I think he's going to be a great draft day steal. Uh, eight category leagues. I don't know. I think we could do better here. We'll talk to Josh. Don't worry. Josh will be on the show. This is Millman's team. Um, and we'll we'll get his thoughts on on why he went to such a low turnover guy early. Uh I I maybe we're like one round off in my mind, but some of these other guys coming up are just a such a, a safer eight category play. Uh D'Angelo Russell's not necessarily the one that I had in mind for uh for this particular spot. I don't I don't think he's the safer play. He was, however, number 39 in eight category leagues last year. Uh, and he'll actually probably be pretty good this coming season. I mean, he's he's gonna be the number two option in Minnesota. Uh he I think is gonna try to stay healthy and play. And so those the, that high turnover mark, you wipe out one of his two really bad categories along with field goal percent. And he becomes a pretty interesting fantasy player. So, you know, I actually kind of like this one. Uh, he's a guy that I've, I've mostly faded throughout his career because I'm mostly a nine-category guy. But, you know, again, it just kind of comparing some of these players, I think I'd rather have D'Angelo Russell over most of the guys we've talked about on today's podcast so far. I think that's a really smart play. Um, his upside is big in Minnesota. Uh, wiping out turnovers is big for his value overall. And so I think I, I, I like it. It's a weird thing to say about him. Jaron Jackson Jr., the next man off the board. This is to Jonas Nader's team, to no one's surprise. Um, you know, the, the question is, is he turning the corner? You know, he, he, he was number 63 in 8-cat last year. He's a lower turnover guy, which, again, makes him a little bit more suited for nine-category leagues, having low turnovers. He needs to fix his percentages. The fact that both of them were sub-league average is just not going to fly for me on a power forward. If you're going to be a power forward who only gets four and a half rebounds a game uh, and tells me you can get me threes and blocks, I'm going to need percentages on top of that if I'm spending a fourth-round pick on you. So I need to see a little bit more out of JJJ. We know the ceiling is crazy high, but we just haven't seen it happen yet. What are you going to do? Rudy Gobert, um who just continues to sort of plug along. Rudy Gobert might end up being an old man squad kind of guy this year. There's there's an inordinate amount of hate for him happening, and I'm not certain that I fully comprehend it. 42, 43, the 44th? He's the 44th pick in this draft, and he was 38 in eight category leagues last year. I I mean, this one, like, I, I get it. When he comes up, at 44, you're like, yeah, well, you know, he's a center with low turnovers, so he probably wasn't that great in eight-category leagues. He had, I think by all accounts, we could call it a pretty down year, and he was still 32 on a per-game basis in nine-cat. Uh, and like we just said, he was late 30s in in eight-cat. 
And to his credit, he played in 62 pre-bubble games this year. He was actually number 20 by totals in eight category leagues. And he was 14 by totals in nine category leagues. The Rudy Gobert hate is is way too strong. And fine, you know what? Go on. Everybody go ahead and hate the dude. I'll scoop him up in third and fourth rounds in nine category drafts this year, and I'll be thrilled about it. He's a second rounder by totals in both. He seems to have moved past the weird, you know, one year he's healthy, one year he's not thing. Yeah, crap, I would take that guy in the 40s. That's insane. What We're talking about Gobert here. We're talking about a guy that, uh, when he's really on his game, can carry you in three categories. He's elite in rebounding, blocks, and field goal percent. Elite level. I don't know. This one doesn't add up for me, but whatever. I love it. Nice pick. I like this dude's team. I think that's Matt Smith. Yeah. Great team so far. Dame, John Collins, Drew Holiday, Rudy Gobert. Massive values, I think. I think I like his team more than mine. That's my, that might be my favorite club so far. Uh, Jalen Brown went at 41. No, 45. Sorry, I lost track of where the hell we were in this thing. Jalen Brown at 45, which is uh, interesting. He's going to need to take another small step forward this year. He's 57 in eight category leagues this most recent year. I thought he had a really good season. The I think the question as you look at his numbers is, can the free throw number come from 73 and a half up into the mid to high 70s? That's how he moves forward. He's also, uh, he missed a handful of games this year, so the durability was a bit down. I This, I think, was a tad early for me on Jalen Brown, um, but he's a really safe play. He's not going to have a bad year. Uh, and one of the easiest, and this is coming from a Laker fan, one of the easiest dudes in the NBA to root for. He's uh, just a brilliant, um, terrific guy, you know, motivated, love it. Easy guy to root for. Probably a hair early for me on fantasy, but I think we kind of move into the next chunk of players after that Gobert pick, for whatever reason. This seems like a, uh, arbitrary, I guess, but as you look at the quality of guys coming off the board now, there was a little bit of a drop. John Morant went at 46. It's, uh, it's a roll of the dice. It, it could work. Ja was 75 in eight category leagues, and he was far better than that in the bubble. So, you know, the question is, there, there, to me, there are two things you look at his stats at and wonder, are these things going to improve? One of them is his shooting, which I assume over time will slowly get better. The question is, how fast does that happen? And defensive stats. Uh, 1.2 is not enough combined for me. Uh, for Ja. So hopefully we see steals trend up. Free throws, I don't know if they're going to get a ton better until the shooting gets much better, but he could very easily hit this mark if he's healthy and takes a small step forward. I'm probably not going to be the guy to roll the dice on him, but I get it. I understand it. It's just kind of outside my normal path. Interestingly, with the very next pick, I took Lonzo Ball. Now, uh, hear me out on this one. This is a pick made largely on the notion that Zion is going to play most of the games next year. It's also not as insane as it sounds 
when I said it out loud. You guys know where Lonzo finished in eight category leagues last year on a per game basis? 48. I got him at 47. So by all accounts, I took him exactly where he was last year, meaning if he matches his production from this most recent year, he's a not a perfect pick. The, the term perfect pick, I think, would be someone who outperforms their number, but he is a break-even pick. He played in most of their games, just enough to uh, where his totals are going to sit pretty close to his average. But the one thing that really jumped out is how much better he was when Zion was there and they were running. They were running and gunning. Lonzo averaged 12.5 points, 2.5 threes, 6 boards, 7 assists, uh, 1.9 defensive stats. His percentages were still hot garbage, but he didn't take that many shots. And then he has 3.1 turnovers last year, which I think will probably always be in the high twos to low threes as long as he is doing as much orchestrating as he did. You know, the thought here is if he takes even a a tiny step forward, like if his free throw percent goes from 57 to 60 or his field goal percent goes from 41 to 42, he outperforms the mark. If he plays the way he did with Zion for a, a decent chunk of the year, he blows this number out of the water. He was just a different guy with Zion on the floor. Just gave him a different kind of target. And so I actually liked, uh, you know, the, again, the eight category more than nine because of the high turnovers. Lonzo was uh, still decent. He was 70 in nine category leagues on a per game basis. But, you know, factor in that turnover bump, and I was a little surprised he was still there, honestly. CJ McCollum went at 48, which um, well, that was a little bit early. CJ was 56 in eight category leagues last year. Turnovers are not really his thing. Uh you know, I think maybe fits that mold more in nine-category leagues. Nurk being back probably takes a tiny bit away from both Dame and CJ this coming year. And if Portland, heaven forbid, spends their salary cap space on a decent power forward, that could also take a little bit away from their two main guards. So this is a little bit early for uh, for me on CJ. I think you could make an argument here in 9-cat at 48, because he'd be a really safe play where you know exactly what you're getting every single year. Um, but 8-category leagues, I think you could you know take a flyer on somebody who's going to kick it around a little bit more. Uh, the other pick on the turn here from our buddy Eric Ong was Christian Wood at 49. I think that's where he's probably going to be going in a lot of drafts. Um, certainly his upside is better in 9-category leagues. I don't think he's going to be turning the ball over all that much this coming year. We also don't know where the hell he's playing. So this is, I think, kind of a guess pick where, and it's reasonable too from Eric to say, look, I think he's going to end up on a team that's going to play him 25 to 29 minutes a game. And if he gets those minutes, he's a top 50 guy. So easy enough. It comes back to me now at pick number 50. We're 50 here. Yeah, second pick of round five. How are we doing on time at this point? Yeah, we're uh, we're getting towards the end of the show. And I went with Devontae Graham. This is all super weird for me, by the way. Uh, you guys know I'm I'm much more of a nine-category guy. And so I, I perhaps I'm loading up at guards a bit at this point. I have Lonzo Ball. I have Ben Simmons. I have Devontae Graham. Uh, so basically three dudes in a row, I took primary ball handlers slash passers, you know, ultra high usage guys. In eight category, you just want as much usage as, as humanly possible. You just want to pile that up until you can't have any more. 
And I know what you're thinking. Devontae Graham's field goal percent was so atrocious. How can you possibly take someone like that after you preach how easy it is to win the percentage categories if you just pay any attention to them? Well, you know, here's the thing. He's still going to be very bad in field goal percent this coming year, but I do think he's going to be better than 38%. I think he gets that up to, to 40 And that by itself, by the way, is enough to elevate him past where I drafted him. He finished at 55 on a per-game basis in eight-category leagues, but he played in 63 ball games. So, by totals, he was actually number 36 last year. Throw in any kind of forward progress from the kid, which I think there will be some, maybe both percentages, maybe that's all you need, and he could easily be easily by totals if he's if he's durable again you know at 36 this last year he could be in the 20s he could be like 28 27 by totals and by averages i could see him as a fourth rounder so i thought there was some upside here to grab him early in the fifth uh about a round to a round and a half of potential upside by averages and maybe even more than that by totals and even though he's the kind of guy i probably wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole in a nine category league he fit the mold here in eight cat I don't care about his high turnovers, and I think that there's a step forward for him to take in field goal percent. So just over, I mean, this is a really young guy. This He came out of nowhere. Nobody knew what the hell this, the, to me, this was like, you're basically like drafting a rookie point guard, and it went about as well as it humanly could. Let's go ahead and put a pin in things here at pick number 50. We'll just sort of slow plot our way through this draft, and this allows us to give analysis on pretty much everything we work our way through and by the time we finish breaking down this draft we might actually know when next year's season is starting so yeah if you're starting to ramp up and you're getting a little bit excited the way we are hit me up we're looking for people here at hoop ball literally every branch of the operation is looking to expand uh betting dfs dfs in other sports If you happen to be good at those, hit us up. The sales team. We'd love to continue to grow the sales team. Season long, we need people to write about fantasy and cover blurb shifts. All the stuff. Hit me up, at Dan Vespers on Twitter, and uh, we'll get you into the application pipeline. Thanks for listening, everybody. This was your Monday edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Hope we distracted you guys for a few minutes because it's a crazy week in America. Back at you tomorrow morning, election day. (laughs) Oh, man. We're going to get through tomorrow's podcast. Have a great one, everybody. We'll talk to you then. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.